This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the premiere of Invincible on Amazon Prime, we're counting down my top five comic book cartoons of all time. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Ozana, and today's episode is celebrating the premiere of Invincible. The first three episodes have dropped on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you have the Amazon Prime membership and you can check this out, go do so. The Man, the show is so freaking good, and watching it got me thinking about what cartoons that feature superheroes comic book ideas would be my favorite I've had a lot of them uh, that I've watched over the course of my life and today's episode is going to be talking about my top five comic book cartoons of all time very excited to talk about this go through this list with you all we also have the latest weekly review on the newest episode of falcon and the winter soldier featuring my good brother malcolm russell nelson and of course this week's comics countdown but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No comics news this week. We're going to kick things off with miscellaneous news. One piece of miscellaneous news, one piece of video game news to talk about here. Spider-Man Miles Morales dropped this past week a brand new suit for Miles to wear, for those of you who still play in the game. Uh, the suit is called the Advanced Tech Suit and is essentially like a sleek version of an iron uh, or a spider armor, essentially very chromed out version of Miles's classic costume, some tech advancements here and there. Uh, they also did some various fixes, did Insomniac to help tweak things for the game. And overall, it's just polishing up something that is just a fantastic game so i'm always down for more additions to uh great games to bring me back to start playing it again so that is it for the miscellaneous news moving on over to film news got four pieces of film news here first off the big news of the week for me at least the suicide squad dropped their first trailer their first big bad trailer this past friday as of this recording and oh my gosh it's so fun Oh, I had such a great time with this trailer, just going through the wackiness, the insane vibes that James Gunn has for his style of filmmaking and taking all of these characters into account, the craziness of Harley, of pretty much the entire team i really dug the additions that they've made here king shark apparently voiced by sylvester stallone looks um, just amazing and we have idris elba as Bloodsport, pretty much playing our straight man it looks like the only thing is i'm very worried about my boy captain boomerang if you are familiar with me if you're familiar with the show if you listen to our into the snyderverse series you know that jai courtney's 
Captain Boomerang is near and dear to my heart, as is just Captain Boomerang in general. So I am very worried because I I didn't get to see a whole lot of him in this trailer. So hopefully we're going to get at least something from him. Hopefully he survives and I'll be able to uh, enjoy this movie with a smile on my face. But uh, moving on to the next piece, we now know that Russell Crowe is going to be joining the cast of Thor Love and Thunder. And I'm... Uh, I have no idea who he's going to play, to be completely honest with you. I've seen the the one that I think sounds the most interesting to me is him in a voice role for Beta Ray Bill. There has been no no indication that Beta Ray Bill is going to be in this movie at all. They're already spoiling us with Christian Bale playing Gore the God Butcher. So if they had Russell Crowe coming in to play Beta Ray Bill, I just, I don't know if my heart could take it. But we know he's going to be in the movie. We don't know exactly who he's going to play, but I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to the film. Uh, We also have this week uh, two pieces of news involving Godzilla versus Kong. As you are listening to this episode, Godzilla versus Kong has dropped in theaters in the U.S. as well as on HBO Max. Go check that out today. Uh, But also... I think just as notable as the director of that film, Adam Wingard, has been tapped to helm a Thundercats film. That's right. Thundercats is getting a film. I don't know if they're going to try and do it live action, if it's going to be full CGI or whatever. But we do know that Adam Wingard is going to be controlling the whole thing in the director's chair. We will see how that goes. I was a huge Thundercats kid when I was when I was a wee lad, and I am really interested to see what they do with these characters. Now, wrapping things up here with uh, TV news, three pieces of TV news that I want to talk about real quick as the... um, Pretty much as Disney Plus ramps up into whatever phase it's going to have going forward with all of these different uh, TV shows based on Star Wars, on Marvel shows on all of that is coming out. We finally got a cast reveal, a main cast reveal for Kenobi, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that is coming out. Uh, We do know, of course, that Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen are returning both as Obi-Wan and Anakin respectively, or he's listed as Darth Vader, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure we're going to get some Anakin Force Ghost nonsense. Uh, We also know that Joel Edgerton is returning as uh, Uncle Lars, or Uncle Owen. Owen Lars, yes. Uncle Owen Lars. Um, But the the rest of the cast is very interesting. We have Moses Ingram, Bonnie... Oh, gosh. Bonnie Pixick. I'm so sorry. Uh, We have Kumail Nanjiani, which I'm always excited to see Kumail. Like, just whenever he pops up in something, I'm very excited to see him. Uh, We're getting Indira Varma, Rupert Friend, Benny Safdie, uh, Simone Kessel, and two very interesting names. First off, O'Shea Jackson Jr. is going to be joining the cast. And my boy, Sung Kang, is joining the cast. That's right. Han himself is making the jump from Fast and Furious to the Star Wars franchise. Cannot wait to see what they have him do. I hope they have him as Han again. He's just, he's Han in every single movie and every single role. I will be totally on board for that. Uh, We also got another piece of casting news on the DC TV side of things. Uh, We do now know that Jordan Fisher will be joining the cast of The Flash as Bart Allen. Impulse is officially coming to the CW Flash, and 
I guess they're making him their son now. Uh, the release put out by the CW, by DC Comics and everything, is stating that Bart Allen is the future son of Barry and Iris instead of their grandson. I don't know. Um, I'm assuming with Crisis and with all the Nora shenanigans going on, they're probably, he's like the the retconned version, or I'm sure there's going to be some nonsense going on. But I'm just excited that they're expanding the Flash family. I still wish that we would get more Wally West in this show, but you can't have everything you want. But I'm excited to see what they do with Bart Allen. Uh, Jordan Fisher's a good actor, and I'm Really excited to see what they do with the character. And then finally in TV news, as I already mentioned at the top of this episode, Invincible premiered this past Friday, dropping the first three episodes on Amazon Prime. And to celebrate, we're going to roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is my top five comic book cartoons of all time. So like many kids, like many kids and children of the 90s, my main comic book exposure when I was a wee lad was through comic book cartoons, uh, kind of kicking things off really, I mean, throughout the entire history of comic books and comic book characters, the way that most people get familiarized with them is through cartoons, because I believe it's the easiest way to translate what's on the page into something that has uh, motion and sound and all of this stuff. And when I was growing up, my favorite cartoons, besides anime, where that, oh, I'm going to set that off to the side, uh, were comic book cartoons. They were the things that got me in, interested in characters from comics. And with kind of a renaissance going on with comic book animation alongside the golden age of comic book television and film, I started thinking about what my top five of all time of comic book cartoons would be. Now, I had to go through an entire list and break them down and, you know, rule things out here and there, and I want to preface this before we get into my list, that this list is entirely subjective. This is my own list. This is not the end-all, be-all, you know, this is the best and everything else sucks. Um, and if you disagree with my list, feel free to let me know. You can reach out to me, and we can discuss what your lists are. I would love to have people send me their lists, and I can talk about them in the mailbag. But for this segment, I'm going to count down my top five comic book cartoons of all time. And before we get into the list, I want to rattle off a couple honorable mentions. Uh, shows that I love, that are near and dear to my heart, but just 
barely missed the mark uh, to make it into the top five. And I'm starting off with Batman Beyond. You all know how much I love Batman Beyond. Uh, If you want to go back, episode 144, we did the top 10 Batman Beyond episodes. It was a blast to go back through, rewatch those episodes and compile them for the, uh, for this podcast. So go check that out. If you want to look at the top 10 episodes uh, of that show, I love Batman Beyond. It's near and dear to my heart. Terry McGinnis will always be a character that I will gravitate towards and I absolutely love that show. Also, an honorable mentions, Superman the Animated Series. Now, this was really the show that kind of got me into comic book characters. This is how I was introduced to Superman. This is how I was introduced to really just comic books in general was Superman the Animated Series. And as much as I love Superman the Animated Series, the thing about it that just barely kept it off the list was that Superman was never really the star of his own show it was always the really the adventures of Metropolis with Superman just coming in tangentially which don't get me wrong made for some incredible storytelling and the way that the entire show wraps up feeds into this idea that you get so engrossed and invested in the citizens of metropolis and in the city as a whole but i wanted to talk about it here because it is so near and dear to my heart it is something that i can attribute to to really my love of comic books of superman of all of this stuff really this podcast would not be around without this show but It is definitely on the honorable mentions, just barely missing the top five list. I also have on here Spectacular Spider-Man, which I'm sure will surprise several of you uh, that it is not in the top five. Again, just narrowly missing it. Um, It is a fantastic cartoon. It is one of my favorites. Probably, I would say, the best Spider-Man cartoon of all time. But the fact that it was only two seasons and that the end of the second season didn't at least for me satisfyingly wrap up the show because they had so much more left in the tank but they had to make way for ultimate spider-man uh did drop it out of the top five because some most of the shows on this list do have a definitive ending um so for that reason and a couple others it just barely missed the top five list. And then finally, I think a dark horse that might surprise some people is Batman Brave and the Bold. Um, I love this dumb show, man. It is so good with how it took some super deep cut comic book characters and storylines and events and just kind of threw them into this show for really for kids. Um, Batman Brave and the Bold is a loving tribute to Batman, to really the DC universe. You see characters here that you would never see in other comic book cartoons. This was a lot of people's first introduction to the team of the Outsiders. This brought Jaime Reyes, Guy Gardner into, at least for me, into uh, cartoon prominence. Some of my favorite versions of these, of uh, Green Arrow, Black Canary, uh, Aquaman. Aquaman alone brings this into my honorable mentions for the version of that character that is in this show. If you haven't watched it or you haven't watched it in a while, give it a watch. Some of the episodes, you know, they are very silly and they are very camp in the same way that, you know, Adam West's Batman was. But the way that they try to elevate the 
the kid friendly storytelling into some into something that all ages can enjoy is something that I will always give respect to. And Batman Brave and the Bold absolutely deserves to be in the conversation for uh, some of the best comic book cartoon storytelling. But that does it for the honorable mentions. We're going to roll right on to the top five list, the cream of the crop. I have these ranked in order for me. And the way that I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk about the cartoon, who it's created by, where it originally aired, how many episodes, and so on and so forth. And then I am also going to list off some of my favorite episodes for each uh, for each show. Not to say that they're like the best episodes of each show or they're, you know, objectively better than other episodes. Just these are episodes that if you haven't watched the show before or if you haven't watched it in a while, you can go back and really get a sense of what the show is all about. So just keep that in mind when I'm listening off some of these episodes. But first off in the number five position, we have X-Men Evolution. Now I know there are going to be some people who are very surprised that this is on my list when other shows are not. But for me, uh, uh, this was my X-Men show, and I'll get into it in just a second, but this show, X-Men Evolution, was created by Marty Eisenberg, Robert N. Skier, and David Wise. It was originally aired on Kids WB and ran for four seasons for a total of 52 episodes, premiering on November 4th of 2000 and ending on October 25th, 2003. And the basic premise of the show is it's X-Men, but X-Men in high school. You know, what if the main characters of the X-Men were going through the day-to-day uh, high school experience while also training to be X-Men? You know, this was meant to be, in a lot of ways, the antithesis of the 90s X-Men cartoon, which, as good as it is and as iconic as it is and... As much as it has really stood the test of time and was the driving force and a lot of people getting interested in the characters during their huge boom during the 90s, it's aged quite a lot. And not to say that X-Men Evolution hasn't aged. It is at times so early 2000s that it physically hurts me, but... This was meant to be an entry point for new fans into the X-Men genre, in a lot of the same way that the X-Men 92 series was. You know, that show used or utilized Jubilee as kind of our entry point into the X-Men universe. Well, with this show everyone was an entry point. You could have characters that you focused on, that you could have characters that, even though they were mainstays to the X-Men formula, actually became POV characters because they were inexperienced, they were younger. And so we had much of the main cast, Cyclops, Jean, pretty much everybody else, Rogue, Shadowcat, you know, these were early 2000s revamps of the characters. You know, Kitty is a valley girl, Rogue is a goth. You know, all of these um, very high school-y tropes that these characters fell into. But for me, you know, when I was growing up, you know, this came out when I was, you know, in the that, you know, target audience, I was enamored with this show. This was the show that got me into uh, Scott Summers as a character. So for all of you who hate Scott Summers, who argue with me on Twitter about Scott Summers, you have this show to blame, and I will still fight you anywhere and everywhere. Scott Summers is the best X-Man. Scott Summers was right. Cyclops was right. And I will fight you. I will fight you on the moon. Anyway, 
X-Men Evolution was this show that took the idea of the mutant experience, the mutant um the mutant quote unquote menace, and turned it into this adolescent um, search for identity. You know, these mutants were getting their powers at the same time that they were dealing with all of the ridiculous stuff that happens in your developmental years. And having that paired up with kind of the more super heroic aspects of the characters really blended the two concepts together into something that I have never really seen done anywhere else for the X-Men. They also took a lot of artistic liberties with this show. You know, we had characters who would be in mentor roles in other X-Men properties, like a Scott Summers, like a Jean Grey. In really the lead roles while characters like Storm and Wolverine were the older statesmen of the of the X-Mansion. You know, this was around the same time that the X-Men movies were really getting off the ground. And you can absolutely tell, you know, with the designs of the characters, the treatment of the characters, uh, the Professor X in this, as good as he is, is just a one-to-one just rip-off of the Patrick Stewart interpretation of the character, which is okay, because that interpretation is great, and this show is great. But this show also took the time to establish characters that people may not have been that familiar with in the early 2000s when it comes to like a mainstream audience. Like the X-Mansion kids were always dealing with the Brotherhood, which included characters like Toad and Blob and Quicksilver, you know, characters that... Even though Toad had made an appearance in the main or in the first X-Men film, didn't mainstream audiences really weren't familiar with those characters and they got some time to shine. Later on, they brought in characters like Destiny, Agatha Harkness, Wanda Maximoff, and they also gave a lot of play to Mystique. And as much as Mystique was, I would say, not so much, um, not so much focused on as like, nearly absent from the entirety of uh, the original X-Men animated series. I never really got invested in the character in that show. Um, Mystique was a main character in X-Men Evolution. She was the main, you know, antagonistic force for the first, I I would say probably the first two seasons before, you know, characters like Magneto got brought along. And then, of course, when Apocalypse ended up becoming the main villain for the last big arc. Uh, The show also did a great job at world building, at building out a wider Marvel universe, you know, tangentially and very, you know, with very selective and specific examples. But, you know, there were characters outside of the X-Men who would pop up, and I was, you know, thrilled to see this, especially with how interconnected the original Marvel Animated Universe was. So this was a show that really took its time to get you invested in fantastic characters, a great supporting cast, or great voice cast in general. Um, This featured Kirby Morrow as the voice of Cyclops, who unfortunately did pass away this past year. Um, And I will always attribute, like, that's, you know, my Cyclops. That is the guy who I always kind of see as, 
you know, this character that I could get attached to and I could aspire to. So this show did a lot for me in developing my fandom of the X-Men. This show did a lot for me in expanding what I could expect to see in X-Men stories, bringing characters and introducing characters like Spike. This was the series that created x-23 laura kinney we would have no logan without this show so it's kind of fun to go back and see how revolutionary this show was at the time and yes it is like i said very early 2000s it has you know in some ways not aged very well at all but it's a fun show with great characters and it does have this fantastic ending the final arc of this series is pure x-men goodness like just pure x-men adrenaline pure x-men storytelling and the final episode that kind of wraps up the whole show is this wonderful look into the future of the characters wrapping everything up with maybe not the neatest bow but a good enough one that you can assume that everything's going to be okay and it's one of those shows that really does stick with you and it's stuck with me even though it's been almost 20 years since the show has ended now when i talk about some of my favorite episodes from the show uh first off i have walk on the wild side this is season two episode 12 this was uh for layman's terms the quote-unquote girl power episode this is where characters like boom boom gene gray Shadowcat, rogue and magma all kind of came together and you know got fed up with the boys treating them like the lesser sex and it's such a fun episode because you get to see them just going around and stopping crimes you know the first uh two seasons mutants weren't a thing or weren't an established thing in this world you know they were this anomaly that professor x and the rest of the x-men were trying to keep very hush hush in bayville and seeing them just go all vigilante team was very fun i had a really good time with this and this was actually the episode that even though she had appeared in other episodes before this uh this is the episode that introduced me to boom boom and boom boom is a fantastic character uh i also have of course operation rebirth season two episode 11 the episode before walk on the wild side this is the captain america episode this is the episode that um reignited that love for captain america for me and got my mind buzzing on the kind of stories you can tell with the character and captain america i think doesn't even really have a single line in the show i mean maybe he does like one or two but none that i can remember off the top of my head and he still establishes himself as this incredibly um uh, this incredibly like benevolent force that has influenced Logan as a character for his entire life. And the way that it kind of wraps up and how Magneto gets, gets involved, the flashbacks from World War II, is just a wonderful, wonderful episode. I also have The Cauldron, parts 1 and 2. This is season 1, episode 12 and 13. This is the finale to season 1. A great Cyclops-focused episode which has him reuniting with his brother Alex, a.k.a. Havoc, and the two of them going off and being recruited to Asteroid M to get some big um, power boost from Magneto. Really cool episode that talks about the uh, bonds between brothers, the 
you know, shortcuts that one could take to try and find power. And it's just a great way to wrap up the first season. We also have Blind Alley, one of my personal favorite episodes of the entire show. It's season three, episode five, and this is the Cyclops versus Mystique episode. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but Cyclops, you know, double-crossed Mystique at a certain point uh, before this episode, and in this episode, Mystique gets her revenge, basically kidnapping Scott in Mexico, dropping him in the middle of nowhere without his glasses, and he has to find his way back to civilization. It's a great episode that also, you know... Um, pushes the relationship between Scott and Gene forward. Another thing that I loved about this show is that they did a slow burn on the Scott and Gene romance. It just makes you want to see them get together. It's a fantastic use of those characters. And then finally, uh, the episode season three, episode two, The Stuff of Heroes. This was one of the episodes that you can look to as the episode that kind of distills everything that the show is about. You know, at this point, mutants have been outed. The world is afraid. Uh, Storm and Beast go to have a congressional hearing while the rest of the team goes off to fight Juggernaut, even though they are essentially protecting people who hate and fear them. It's a quintessential X-Men story, one that only the X-Men can tell, and it's a fantastic episode that I always return to. So that is number five, X-Men Evolution. Now, at number four, we have Teen Titans. Um, this was, of course, created by Glenn Murakami and Sam Register, aired on Cartoon Network for five seasons, 65 episodes in total, and was wrapped up with a Tokyo or a Trouble in Tokyo t- made for TV movie, which landed on uh, September 15th, 2006. It ran from July 19th, 2003 to January 16th, 2006, with the movie essentially serving as a series finale. Uh, the premise behind it, you know the Teen Titans cartoon. Everyone knows the Teen Titans cartoon at this point. Robin, Starfire, Raven, Beast Boy, and Cyborg. They are fighting against all manner of different rogues throughout the DC universe. This is a lot of people's entry point into the Teen Titans. This was my entry point as a kid growing up, you know, into the Teen Titans, and really got me into the storytelling aspect of these teen team uh, cartoons, especially when it comes to the DC Universe. And this show, man, I could talk about this show for hours. Uh, And putting it on the list, I always knew it was going to be here. It was just kind of a matter of where it was going to go. But um, it, you know, it sets you up right away with these characters. They are teenagers who are dealing with not just, you know, the super heroics and all the villains that they have to constantly fight, but also getting on each other's nerves, all of the teen drama that comes out with that. It is skewed towards, I would say, a slightly younger audience than X-Men Evolution, but The storytelling in this show is fantastic. This is the show that, you know, a lot of people look to as an all-time classic. This is what people look to as, like, a quintessential cartoon for comic book, um, for comic book media and for comic book fans. And there have been attempts to, you know, get it continued. Several different attempts, including Teen Titans Go, the more slapstick, made-for-kids version of the show, the, um, what was it? Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go film, um, all of this different stuff that really uh, 
really just kind of establishes it as this cult classic, as this iconic comic book cartoon that people love. And this was what in gave me the intro to certain characters like Starfire, like Raven. Um, this was the TV show that got me, that introduced me to Beast Boy and Cyborg. Like, the only character that I was really familiar with coming into this show was Dick Grayson and getting to build out this world of not just you know, the worlds of the rest of the team, but also, you know, Titans East. We have all these villains introducing me to the Doom Patrol. You know, this show really went from this centralized place of like, here is your team, these are your POV characters, and stretched out to all corners of the DC universe, taking characters like Masi Menos, um, alongside characters like Wildebeest, you know, there were such deep cuts in the same way that Brave and the Bold did for a lot of, you know, deep cut characters in the DC universe, Teen Titans kind of did it first. This was the show that took characters that weren't being used, didn't have a whole lot of mainstream appeal or attention, and really gave them a platform to tell stories with. This was my introduction to Brother Blood, to Terra, the the Judas... Okay, so the Judas contract storyline for the Teen Titans is a completely overused storyline. I will just put that on the table right now. We have had multiple, multiple adaptations of this story. We don't need it anymore, especially because Teen Titans did it the best. Uh, having Terra as this character that gets introduced to the Titans, having her leave, having her come back, having her be part of the team to betray them and have giving her the ending that she... Uh, that she really made for herself and then teasing that that might not be the end of her in the series finale. Like, there are all kinds of adaptations of the Judas Contract story, but this one, for me and for my money, is the best. Uh, this also get you know, breathe new life into characters that we were more familiar with. You know, characters like Robin got that whole Red X arc that I love and hold near and dear to my heart and has developed into the Teen Titans Academy book, which has now brought Red X into the comics. This show also did something that I think was unique at the time. We've seen a lot more of it, you know, in the past 20 years since, but Teen Titans was this near-perfect blend of East and West when it came to animation, taking a lot of the traditional, you know, Western style of animation storytelling and blending them with anime, you know, both in the character designs as well as the structure of the episodes. You know, there's an entire episode where Robin gets his ass kicked and decides to go train on a mountain with, you know, these anthropomorphic anthropomorphic animals and it's it's so anime that it hurts but i think that there are very seldom few cartoons that blend you know traditional western cartoons and anime that do so as well as this show did this also did a great job at introducing you to the wider dc universe we got an introduction to deathstroke in this cartoon he's called slade because standards and practices wouldn't allow them to call him deathstroke but we got introductions to characters like 
Deathstroke, like Brother Blood, like the Doom Patrol, the Brotherhood of Evil, all of these characters that, again, didn't get a whole lot of play and now are commonplace. Everyone knows about Deathstroke now. Everyone knows about the Doom Patrol now. But at this point, people were getting introduced to these characters for the first time. These storylines, Tamaran, the concept of raven and her father trigon like all of these different concepts that on paper should not make sense and should not you know endear themselves to the kind of storytelling of saturday morning cartoons but really freaking work in this show because of the quality that was behind the show being created also the team building in this you know it's very easy to have a show that promises okay this is a team you know this is a team show this is an ensemble show and then just go with one main character and the other characters be um supporting but this show did as good as any show has ever done at not only establishing but also building up the ensemble cast each season was kind of directed towards you know one specific character so one character would maybe get more focused episodes or more focused arcs than another but then the next season they would become the supporting and another character would be pushed up it's a just fundamentally brilliant way of getting people to invest in these characters and also while also keeping the consistency and the quality of the storytelling at an incredible level and when it comes to my favorite episodes of the show um, again these aren't you know the end-all be-all for the uh for the show as a whole but some of my favorite episodes that i always kind of direct people to check out uh first off season one episode nine entitled masks this is the red x episode this is the episode that establishes that character and kicks off a whole you know series long arc for robin making the worst of choices for the best intentions it's a wonderful episode that really messes with you and if you've never seen it it's a great great episode also how long is forever season two episode episode one this is the episode where starfire gets thrown i think it's 20 years or so into the future and this becomes a this becomes an episode on friendship this becomes an episode on the meaning of friendship the strength of those bonds and how even when people grow apart they can still come together to accomplish wonders and the episode again really focuses on starfire we get a great look at the possible futures for these characters and dick grayson becomes nightwing i mean what more do you need uh, also, the episode Deception, Season 3, Episode 1. This is a cyborg-focused episode where to get a sense of why the Hive Five do the things they do, Cyborg goes undercover as Stone with this, um, this I don't know what it's called. It's like a holographic inducer that makes him look like an, a normal, you know, a normal guy who's able to turn his skin into stone also a super cool um character design but he goes into the hive academy this is where we're introduced to Bl brother blood and it's also a very a deeply personal episode for cyborg he develops kind of a relationship with jinx there's this great scene between him and starfire at the end where he gets to you know he is looking at his body as a normal person again because of the holographic uh 
band or whatever and he gets this really great conversation with starfire which just really drives home how deep these friendships go it's a fantastic episode i really really dig it i also uh love season five episode 10 entitled go this is essentially the origin episode if you've never seen the show you can watch this episode and it'll give you everything you need to know about the characters uh this is essentially a flashback episode that introduces all of the characters introduces how they meet each other and it's just a great coming together story that i always look to when talking about teen titans origin stories like if if the titans show did anything close to what this one single episode of the teen titans cartoon did i would look at that show way more favorably than i do and then finally the episode that of course knowing me you know has to be on here winner take all season two episode nine it's the tournament episode you know i love tournaments you know i love tournament arcs it's the anime fan in me and this is a hell of a tournament arc um the boys of the Teen Titans, Cyborg, Robin, and Beast Boy get zapped into another dimension to fight in the contest of heroes one-on-one with other heroes from across the globe. This introduced us to characters like Aqualad, like Speedy, Wildebeest. It's just a fantastic episode that goes into uh, Robin's mindset, gives us a great several great fights between these teen heroes and it's just it's something i go back to always uh so that is teen titans at my number four at number three we have avengers earth's mightiest heroes you knew it was going to be on this list somewhere uh created by christopher yost joshua and joshua fine uh this show originally aired on disney xd for two seasons for a total of 52 episodes it ran from september 22nd of 2010 to november 11th 2012 the premise it's the Avengers. The Avengers coming together, fighting the greatest threats that the Marvel Universe can throw at them. Um, if you want my full thoughts on this show, I did an entire episode celebrating its 10-year anniversary. Uh, it's episode 126. If you want to go back in the archives, check that out. It's a full on love letter to that show, going into the nitty-gritty of why it worked, the Uh, the entire process, the entire production process going into creating it, my favorite episodes, why it worked, the characters that were involved, the potential of what season three and season four could have been. Um, It's just, it's one of my favorite episodes, talking about one of my favorite shows. So you knew it had to be on here somewhere. But I really, I dig this show a lot. It's what I consider the Justice League slash Justice League Unlimited for Marvel, bringing these characters together and being able to tell stories from the comics that um, may not get enough time to be told in the MCU, though now that we have the Disney Plus shows, who knows? But it really is a celebration of Marvel Comics as a whole. And again, Go back to episode 126. I talk all about it. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, strictly from, you know, not just strictly cartoons, just of all time. Um, And I want to highlight some episodes as well from this show that I didn't, you know, talk about in uh, in that episode, because I do give my top five episodes slash arcs from the show in that episode. So if you want to get my personal top five, you can check those out. But five more episodes that I want to highlight here. Uh, Breakout. This is season one, episode six and seven. This is the two part more or less premiere of the show. The first five episodes were episodes dedicated to establishing each Avenger. 
But this episode is the episode that, or this pair of episodes, is the episodes that brings the team together for the very first time to fight Graviton, and it's just a great episode and a great origin for this team. Living Legend is my next one, Season 1, Episode 9. This is Captain America getting thawed out, and you you knew it had to be on here. There are going to be a couple uh, Captain America-centric episodes on this list because, of course, it's Captain America. And it's me. Enough said. But it's a fantastic episode that I think gives enough time to Captain America so you can see his thought process, see him be that man out of time. And it kicks off an arc for him that really goes through the entire series. Super well done. Uh, Next up, we have New Avengers. This is season two, episode number 23. This is the episode that I wanted to put on my top five list. Um but it just barely missed the mark. But this brought together characters like Spider-Man, the Heroes for Hire, Wolverine, and had them go up against Kang. I love it so much. It's a great, great episode. And alongside that, we have episode uh, episode 13 of season two, Along Came a Spider. This is the episode that follows uh, the Secret Invasion storyline, where now everyone is super against Captain America. And this introduced Spider-Man into the show originally voiced by Josh Keaton, then uh, kind of redubbed over with the Drake Bell Spider-Man because he was, that was going on with the Ultimate Spider-Man show. But this episode is just a great look at how well Spider-Man and Captain America work together as a team narratively. I just want more Captain America and Spider-Man stories. I just, I need them. I really do. And it's, you know, it's one of those episodes that I think is so great for Captain America as a character, because this is Captain America dealing with the fallout of an imposter using his face to serve Earth up on a platter to the Skrulls. So people are wary of him. People don't trust him in the same way that New York doesn't really trust Spider-Man just yet. So it's a great episode. Definitely check it out. And then finally, it's Operation Galactic Storm. Season 2, episodes 24 and 25. This was the last arc of the show, even though the last episode uh, came after this. Because that was a self-contained episode that kind of was a one-and-done. This I considered to be the last arc of the show, where basically everything that had been building up from the first season with the Kree Empire kind of comes to a head. Uh, the Kree begin to invade. We have our Avengers go into space and go to the Kree homeworld. It's a great, great two-parter that absolutely deserves to be up there in the annals of superhero storytelling fantastic stuff so of course avengers earth's mightiest heroes at number three it's amazing next up i'm sure you can probably tell what the top two are because they are absolutely what they are they are instant classics they are iconic for all the reasons that people have talked about before And because of that, they have swapped spots for me multiple times on this list. Putting this together, I've gone back and forth. But as of this recording, as of this very moment, this is where I have these two. So at number two, we have 
Justice League slash Justice League Unlimited. This was created and developed by Bruce Timm, uh, originally aired on Cartoon Network for a total of five seasons, two seasons for the original Justice League cartoon and three seasons of Justice League Unlimited for a total of 91 episodes. This ran for 52 episodes for the original Justice League and 39 episodes for Justice League Unlimited, running from November 17th of 2001 to May 13th of 2006. And the premise, you know the premise of this. This is the all-star lineup. This is the DCAU. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Martian Man, Under Green Lantern, Flash, Hawkgirl. This is your all-star seven lineup. This is the team that everyone, you know, who is... I would say 30 and under looks to as their Justice League team, and I love it so much. It is, of course, you know, the show that everyone looks to as kind of the gold standard for DCAU uh, storytelling. This is what brought together so many characters, characters that didn't get their own animated series at the time and still haven't yet, looking at you, Flash animated series. But I really dig this show. If it wasn't obvious, uh, being a DC nerd, being a DC fan, this was what established that team for me as you know this mythological team that I can always look to as like the greatest heroes of the DC universe because it's it's the league it's everyone knows Justice League and Justice League Unlimited all you have to do is say JLU to bring up those um those memories and people the theme songs are iconic the character designs are iconic the storytelling is iconic and so bringing these characters together setting them up as this team who not only has to deal with the day-to-day you know fighting supervillains and all that stuff but also they have to deal with very human problems there's an entire episode dedicated to martian manhunter feeling like he had like he has distanced himself from earth and feeling alien and separated from the rest of the team there are episodes where they have to deal with the u.s government and they have to deal with the paranoia of superheroes it's just so many layers upon layers and there's a reason that this show has endured this is a there is a reason this universe is as iconic as it is because the storytelling was strong it took characters that you either knew or were somewhat familiar with with and remixed them for a team that were always involved in event style storytelling and if any term can apply to this show that really kind of encapsulates all of it it's event level storytelling every episode felt like it absolutely required the these characters to come together to solve the problem even smaller episodes um like the episode where wonder woman gets turned into a pig you know this is an episode that brings together batman and zatanna these are this is a world building unlike anything that we've seen before or since and even though that we even though we have seen shows that cross over together like i mentioned before the 90s marvel animated universe crossed together several shows it never felt as cohesive as it does here all of these characters feel like they exist in the same world together and bringing them all together and having them be the successors to shows like batman the animated series superman the 
animated series really gave weight to the characters that you were familiar with and allowed you to focus on the characters that you weren't familiar with. This was a lot of people's introduction to the concept of Green Lantern, and this is why Jon Stewart is such a such an enduring character that people will latch to. Um, I'd probably forever because the version of this character played by Phil Amar is just so iconic that it's you know it's hard to distance that version of the character from the character of Jon Stewart himself and if there's a word to really apply to this show it is iconic these characters are iconic they are the distilled versions of each of these characters in a way that we don't really see nowadays and i know that that sounds very hipster very old man like back in my day heroes were heroes but it really for that period of time this was our dc comics this was our justice league there were no others and so i still look at it as this incredibly um engrossing and incredibly um fascinating show because it took not just the main seven, but when it did expand out to Justice League Unlimited, it allowed us to take a look at characters that we had never seen before. I had never been introduced to Booster Gold before really getting into this show and being able to experience all of these characters, get invested in them, and then go and read the comics that they appeared in is a journey that I think more people should take, and I will always attribute a lot of people's fandom of the DC Universe to this show, and I'm sure a lot of people will. So when it comes to talking about some favorite episodes, I cheated a little bit. I've had pretty much, you know, four or five episodes per show so far, but because there were 91 episodes of this show, I I I, I went with six. I just, I wanted to. These are the episodes that I think people should go check out. Uh, first off, Comfort and Joy. Justice League Season 2, Episode 23. Um, this is a yearly tradition for me. Every single year at Christmas time, I watch Comfort and Joy because this is as perfect a DC Christmas story as you can get. We have characters like Hawkgirl and Green Lantern who don't really so much feel connected to Christmas as they do trying to connect with each other. We have the Flash dealing with the consumerism of Christmas <laughs> as well as trying to get down to the uh, spirit of Christmas in itself in a conflict with the Ultra Humanite. And of of course, we get this really touching um, B-plot where Clark takes uh, Martian Manhunter back to Smallville with him to celebrate Christmas. It's a wonderful episode that's near and dear to my heart, and I had to put it on the list, of course. Uh, also, A Better World, Justice League Season 2, Episodes 11 and 12. Um, this is the Justice Lords episode, this or the Justice Lords arc. You know, the Justice Lords are... This story that I think people tend to run with more nowadays. It's like, okay, what if Justice League, but bad. But this was, I would say, probably the most nuanced version of these characters. At least before the Tom Taylor and Justice comic came out. And getting to experience these characters, like, what if this terrible thing happened and it completely shifted everything that we know about these characters? And then, you know, calling back to that story later on in the show is just 
masterful storytelling and the conversation that Batman has with the alternate Justice Lord Batman in the in the Batcave is still it still gives me chills. So definitely check that out. Uh, we have Legends season one, episode eighteen and nineteen, another two parter that for all intents and purposes, brings some of the Justice League together with the Justice Society. They're not called the Justice Society. They're called the Justice Guild of America. But they're the Justice Society. We have the Green Guardsman, who is the Green Lantern. You know, all of these very... Um, very silly revamps of the Justice Society characters. I don't know why they couldn't just call them the Justice Society and use those characters, but... I'm I'm sure someone knows. I can't I don't know off the top of my head, but this episode really goes into the heart of heroism and what it means to be a hero. So absolutely check that out. Uh we also have for the man who has everything uh, Justice League Unlimited season 1 episode 2. This is a direct adaptation of that comic story and the performance by George Newbern in this show, I will always carry with me you know as a voice actor we like to look towards you know performances from other voice actors that really inspire us and george newburn's performance as superman in this episode sticks with me because of just everything that he has to juggle in this the full range of emotions it is masterful voice acting and a great story in itself too just so well done and it involves mongol you know how much i love mongol uh, we also have Cat and the, the Cat and the Canary, Justice League Unlimited Season 2, Episode 1. This is the Green Arrow and Black Canary episode. I love this episode so much. Uh, this was the show that introduced me to Green Arrow as a character, and getting to watch his relationship with Dinah, you know, develop, get established and develop throughout the course of the show is something that I will always you know, hold near and dear to my heart because this version of Green Arrow is my Green Arrow with his stupid facial hair, the Robin Hood costume paired up with the Black Canary from this. It's just, it's so well done and proved to a lot of people, myself included, that you can tell stories outside of the big seven and still have them be incredibly, incredibly engrossing. So definitely check that out. And then finally, another episode that does the same thing for me, uh, Patriot Act, Justice League Unlimited, Season 3, Episode 7. This is one of my favorite comic book cartoon episodes ever. Um, Patriot Act is this incredible story about uh, General Eiling, who is still obsessed with the danger that the Justice League may pose to the American people, so he steals a flawed... Uh, essentially super soldier formula becomes a hulk more or less and goes off to fight the justice league but ends up fighting basically the b squad who are who are at a parade including green arrow vigilante shining knight and watching them face off against this character who just outmatches them in almost every way is just so cool and it's this underdog story that I will always get behind and just as much as Legends does before it it really gets again to the heart of what being a hero is and I will always love this episode so that is my number two I'm pretty sure you can guess what number one is number one in my top five comic book cartoons of all time is Marvel's Spider-Man. Yes, I know, you're surprised. The new Spider-Man cartoon, many people say it sucks, but 
I am now going to spend the next 30 minutes to an hour telling you why you are inherently wrong and why this show is the best out of all of them. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know you're about to click off. Don't. Please. Please. Keep playing. Don't press pause yet. Of course... Number one is Batman the Animated Series. Batman the Animated Series is number one. It may be the boring choice, but it's it's the right choice. It is the quintessential comic book cartoon. Uh, created by Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski and developed by Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and Mitch Bryan. It originally aired on Fox Kids for three seasons, uh, two seasons of Batman the Animated Series and one season of The New Batman Adventures for a total of 109 episodes. 85 episodes from Batman the Animated Series, 24 episodes from The New Batman Adventures. It ran from September 6th, 1992 to January 16th of 1999. This show was the 90s. If you grew up in the 90s like I did, you knew this show you watched this show you loved this show and i did too this was my introduction to batman this was my introduction to many characters in gotham of batman's rogues gallery of his supporting cast and this is the show i always go back to when you talk about near perfect batman storytelling you know this is my Batman, anytime I open up a comic book, I always hear Kevin Conroy's voice. Um, this is anytime I open up a comic book and I see the Joker, I always hear Mark Hamill's voice. This is the gold standard for comic book cartoons. And a lot of that has to do with the presentation of the show, the neo-noir aspects of the show, the art deco aspects of the show that really set it apart from pretty much any other uh, comic book cartoon that came before or has come since. There are so many, there are so many comic book shows now that this list was incredibly hard to crack, but there are none that have the kind of character and kind of instantly identifiable flavor as Batman the Animated Series. And the... Oh, man, I could, again, I could talk about this show for so long, and I have. If you want to get my full thoughts on the show, as well as my top 10, I believe, favorite episodes, you can go way back in the archives to episode 73, where I listed off my top 10 Batman the Animated Series episodes. But this show is, for me, the the Batman show. This is the Batman property, and no Batman property has topped it since. Not Zack Snyder's version of Batman, not Tim Burton's version of Batman, not even the Christopher Nolan Batman. This is my Batman. The Kevin Conroy animated Batman is my Batman. Um, I did the... Uh, Batman film retrospective with Matt Draper a while back. Go back and check that out if you haven't yet. But I, and I believe he did as well, still have Batman Mask of the Phantasm listed at number one. Um, because it's the best. It is Batman storytelling in its purest form. But it's not just Batman storytelling. All of the other shows, the things that I like about them, largely have a lot of what they do well owed to this show. This show was the blueprint. When you want to talk about shows that get you invested in the environment, get you invested in the city, get you invested in the supporting cast, this show did it first. If you want to talk about 
crossovers between shows that you never thought would be possible, this show did it first. If you want to talk about, you know, shows that take characters, develop them over time, and bring them into a or give them a full character arc from beginning to end, this show did it first. This is the show that, again, is the gold standard when it comes to comic book cartoon storytelling, and it's the one that will always top the list for me. I have never watched a show that I have not compared to Batman the Animated Series, and I know a lot of people feel the same way, and though there are certain aspects of it that have aged, and I will absolutely give you that this show is still the perfect distillation of the batman character and there has never been an adaptation outside of the comics that has ever quite reached the level of near perfect adaptation that this has and when it comes to some of my favorite episodes of this show uh that i didn't list on the top 10 episode i you know again i went a little bit over because there's 109 episodes uh so i have seven episodes that i think you should check out outside of my top 10 list so we have first off christmas with the joker this is season one episode two um it's it's self-explanatory it's christmas with the joker um this was the first um this is the first time that I was uh, introduced to this version of the Joker. This this was, I literally watched um, Robin's Reckoning and then watched this. And that was my introduction to Batman the Animated Series. And it's a fantastic episode. Uh, good brother of the podcast, Jacob Brown, always watches this. This is his yearly Christmas tradition. Um, so it's an episode that you can always go back to. It's fun, it's zany, it's wacky, and it has a ton of heart so definitely check that out we also have feet of clay an episode that i was heartbroken that i wasn't able to put on my top 10 list this is season one episodes 20 and 21 this is the origin of Clayface, and it is heartbreaking it is heartbreaking it's tragic it's terrifying the body horror involved in this is just astounding especially for a show that was in essence made for kids um it's a fantastic episode and a great origin story for that character i also want to highlight perchance to dream season one episode 30 uh this was in so many ways my first mind fuck when it came to <laughs> uh comic book storytelling when i I watched this episode and all of a sudden Bruce Wayne isn't Batman. It was all a dream. What is happening here? I was glued to the TV from beginning to end. And if you've never seen this episode, this is a great episode for you to check out. Uh, I also want to highlight The Man Who Killed Batman, which is another iconic episode. Um, season one, episode five. It's, or 51, sorry, season one, episode 51. Uh, this is Sid the Squid. The Sid the Squid episode is so fun. It's got a perspective that we don't really get to see in the show, uh, much less really in any kind of comic book media. But getting this nobody uh, mob henchman who is credited with killing the Batman and watching his life just spiral out of control from there is something that is always a pleasure to watch. And the Joker eulogy in this episode is something that I will always, always crap, crack up at. It is, it never gets old. It really doesn't, especially the kazoo playing afterwards. I also want to talk about Riddler's reform season two, episode 14. Um, the Riddler in this show is 
incredible. This is my favorite version of the Riddler in all of the versions that we've gotten. I love this Riddler, and this episode where he seemingly turned over a new leaf is working with a toy company. It's just, it's incredible, and leaves you with a perfect Riddler ending story, or a, a perfect ending to a Riddler story that I have never seen topped since. It's wonderful. Also, uh, Growing Pains from Season 3, Episode 8. This is another Clayface episode uh, featuring our boy Tim Drake. Tim Drake is the main Robin at this point in time, and he meets a girl named Annie, and the two of them try to piece together who she is and what her life has been. And it's, again, a tragic episode that really... Ooh, it got me in the feels when I first watched it, and it still gets me in the feels every time. It's a wonderfully animated episode, incredible voice cast, the performances here are top-notch, and it's, again, a testament to why this show works so well. And then finally, Holiday Nights. Holiday Nights from Season 3, Episode 1 is another Christmas episode. It is another episode that really cuts into the core of what the show is about. It's essentially an anthology episode. Uh, presenting several different stories focusing on different characters in the Batman rogues gallery um, and just kind of seeing what they're up to during the holidays. Uh, Watching Batgirl have to face down uh, an enemy in the middle of a department store is amazing. The Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy short where they uh, control Bruce Wayne to take them on a shopping spree is wonderful. And then this was the first appearance of Tim Drake as Robin in the show. And then you get the fantastic ending of the episode where every single year Batman and Jim Gordon go to this diner after it closes and celebrate with a cup of coffee that they've made it another year it's just it's everything you could want from a batman story set in the most rich and diverse gotham city that we have ever gotten outside of the comics so that is it that is my top five uh cartoon comic books comic book cartoons i'm getting lost in the sauce here um That's my top five list of all time. To recap, X-Men Evolution at number five. At number four, we have Teen Titans. At number three, it's Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Number two, Justice League slash Justice League Unlimited. And at number one, Batman the Animated Series. And as we look forward, as we start to see shows like Invincible come out, that gave me that same feeling that I had watching some of these shows for the very first time, I can see redoing this list in, you know, 10 years time and it being a completely different list so keep your eyes out on the future the comic book cartoon renaissance is here and it is going to be around for a long time to come It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode number two of Falcon and the Winter Soldier entitled The Star-Spangled Man. And I, of course, am joined by my fearless compatriot, Malcolm Russell Nelson. Malcolm, how are you doing? How'd you feel about the episode? I'm good. I'm feeling real good about this episode and can't wait to talk about it. (laughs) same man like this was 
this was fantastic. Like all the things that I liked about the first episode were just kicked up to 11 in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. It, it has almost the same kind of pacing as the first episode too, which I really yeah. like, like about the, you know, cool down into action scene, into cool down, into cool down. Like it, it's a very similar pacing, but uh, flows so well and hits you with more like, geez, this was big for episode two this was huge yeah there was a lot of stuff going on in this one (laughs) yeah like halfway through i was like we are moving this really quickly and then i remember there's only six episodes there's only six episodes okay they gotta they gotta move this thing yeah we're we're a third of the way through but man like a lot has happened in the first two hours yeah and i i'm really excited once this is all kind of wrapped up to just binge it again and just oh, like yeah. watch it that's all gonna the be... way through like back to back to see how the story flows. That's going to be the best day of my life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be just the best day of my life. <laughs> we were talking a little bit off mic and I was like, after this episode, I thought to myself, is this my favorite MCU property now? Is this yeah. what it is? And I this just, is this is it. This is it. This is the one that I'm gonna, I'm gonna rewatch this all the time. Yeah. Like I already, like I always rewatch like civil war, like, almost monthly and like black panther like almost bi-monthly or monthly like th- this is going to be a net rotation now it'll be right up there and, and it could be episode... based just off this episode yeah seriously <laughs> like this episode is oh man uh first off i knew they were going to get me because i looked at the um i looked at the title on disney plus and it said star spangled man and i'm like no don't you do this mm-hmm. Don't you mm-hmm. do this? And the episode opens up with our boy Johnny Walker. Good John old John Walker, Walker is just son of a bee. Hanging out in this locker room, and it's like, at first you're like, "What is going on here?" And he like peels off this name tag, and you see JW for John Walker, and we get our boy Wyatt Russell just in the flesh as normal John Boy Walker, and. Mm-hmm. One thing that I I found out recently is that he actually auditioned for Captain America. I learned that today that that was his first like audition. Yeah. And I think that on earth Two, Wyatt Russell has killed it for the last 10 years as Captain America. I really dig this version of him because he's pitch perfect from the comics so i think he's perfect for john walker mm-hmm. um it's funny because i think if it, on earth too yes he is playing captain america but i think he's playing ultimate captain america absolutely absolutely <laughs> he's not playing 616 cap he's playing ultimate cap who's yes. uh harder edged and you know the does this a does this letter on my forehead stand, <laughs> stand for, for France? France? You know, like he's absolutely playing that Captain America on Earth too, like for sure. Yeah. And that's why it works so well that he is kind of that Captain America here. Like there's there's clearly a facade mm-hmm. to him. Uh, there's he clearly like something. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's funny because they they sprinkle it in little things. It's him rehearsing there. Before uh, before Lamar Hoskins comes in, Lamar Hoskins. Oh my God! Walks through the door, right? And I'm just like, 
is that and you see the hoskins name tag and i'm like yes i was just like no way are they doing this and i was like okay he'll just be there he'll just be like his friend that's cool you know every cap has to have a black friend that's totally fine (laughs) and then they like actually have Battlestar like in action later and i'm like oh my god they're doing Battlestar. that's stupid yeah and in the best way i'm just really excited excited for them to introduce d-man later on in the oh my god that's the thing we have to get d-man and it'll be perfect if we don't get d-man in the series i'm actually going to be really disappointed like what are we even doing here like (laughs) ah, oh i love it i love it yeah man so i what i really dug about this opening scene is that he is feeling very much like first avenger steve rogers pre-serum where he's got like kind of the slumped shoulders and his hair is mm. kind of tussled to the side and i'm mm. assuming like that's his wife or maybe it's his like agent or something who used to be his girlfriend i don't know. Uh, yeah either but, like yeah someone close to him like they there. clearly yeah and he's talking about like i am not ready for this yeah <laughs> he's just yeah. like i am like this is a lot of pressure which i absolutely like of course it would be like there's no world where stepping into captain america isn't the most anxiety ridden possibility of all time exactly exactly it's something that sam ultimately choked on i mean you know that's that's what put us in this position you know yeah exactly and like seeing him be like okay i don't feel like he even says like when they go out and we're, we're just i just want to talk about it now the production okay this halftime show that uh-huh. he's doing where he's like signing autographs kissing uh-huh. babies, and you see that shot from the trailer of him high-fiving the drum major i was like this is uso captain america yes exactly this is exactly what the u.s government wanted captain america to be exactly and i love that he's griping about that to lamar too like it's interesting the different conversations he has with his uh significant other whoever she is you know and lamar where he's telling him like listen like i just want to get into the work like it's been a lot of handshaking it's been a lot of kissing babies i just want to get to the work lamar's like no like this this is the job man which again like this is it to the first avenger yeah it makes him complete sense so good so good and he's like i love that you know that whole he's rehearsing he's like good morning no nope that's not right did you notice he, the song that they're playing too yes of course i did god that oh. that hurt it hurt henry jackman <laughs> is henry jackman quickly becoming my favorite composer <laughs> It's it's funny because I think the Winter Soldier score might be the best score in the MCU. It's still my, and of uh, course I'm biased, but I'm I still think it is. Like I think that's the best score, and this is very close to topping it. And I love that it samples a lot from that. Yeah. Um, the fight scene on the trucks later, which we'll talk about, like that samples a lot from this uh, Winter Soldier score, sure like does. in a few different places, which is really cool. But it, it feels like an evolution of that. It feels like eight years later, this is what the music from that would grow into, exactly. which is really interesting. Yeah. Henry Jackman's crushing it. He's absolutely, absolutely crushing it. And so is honestly like Wyatt Russell as John Walker is yeah. like polar, like immediately like draws yeah. your eye to him. Like, mm-hmm. and when he's talking about like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of like, how did somebody like me like, yeah, the modesty movie. thing. And they go yeah. through his track record, and I'm like, 
yeah, I'd pick him too. Yeah, I love that on paper he makes complete sense. Yeah, but there's but again, like, there's that bit when he's talking to Lamar where Lamar says like you can't punch your way out of this problem. Like yeah. you can't punch your way out of problems anymore. He's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and like you, Lamar knows how dark John can get. And I love that. That's one of my favorite things about that relationship in the comics. Yeah. Like when, when John Walker becomes Captain America in the comics, like that's, that's one of the best things that Lamar knows who he is. Lamar is clearly there kind of to pull him back a little bit, which he's is interesting. Handler. Yeah. He's, he's really his handler. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And so we get, you know, the reaction to this from uh, from Bucky and Sam. And Bucky is so mad. And I love Who's, how he's almost he in is. tears. He, he is, is like almost looking, in tears. Like this first conversation they have where he's like, he doesn't even say hello. This is probably the first time they've seen each other in a while. And he's just like, should have done that. Shouldn't have given up the shield. And yeah, Sam, and Sam's just like, I'm going to my job. Can you yeah. It <laughs> just I the chemistry between them is dynamite like it's perfect incredible. it's perfect i love I, it i knew i was gonna love this episode when we are in the aircraft carrier and they both like go to get up at the same time yeah and then, <laughs> they're just in a stalemate yeah and then you know sam jumps out and bucky's like where's my where's where's my shoot and uh joaquin's just like hey he's we're too low. Dude, we're at like 200 feet, like, man. Like, it's too it's low too for low. a street. He's like, I he's don't like, need it. Right, fine. And he goes up and he's just like, <sighs> he's just, <laughs> the thing I love about this version of Bucky Barnes is how perpetually tired he is. He's just tired. He and I love that, that he looks tired and like yes. he, he's just done with it all. He has that <laughs> mid 30s tired yeah. energy that is yeah. just like, I am constantly tired. But here it's we go. Perfect. And him, like, again, echoing back to Winter Soldier, echoing back yeah. to these themes of Captain America. You know, in this episode, we got the three act structure. We got yep. mm-hmm. First Avenger with the USO stuff. We got Winter Soldier with jumping out of a plane without a parachute. And at the end, we mm-hmm. get a war with Zemo. Yep. But like, <laughs> I, I love this episode. If you couldn't this tell, this episode is so well structured. <laughs> it's so good. But my favorite part is Bucky just like, okay and he jumps out you just hear him go ah! like as he's jumping out and he's just like going through the trees and he hits the ground and you just hear sam go you know i got that all on video right <laughs> and so they go in they get to this warehouse where the flag smashers are and mm-hmm. this kicks off a whole mess of a of a fight scene which i absolutely adored I love I love the how many people are there and they're bickering about how many people there are. And then and then immediately they get into business mode because Sam's like, there's an eighth person. I think they have a hostage. And they immediately take off and like, okay, let's go take this down. It's it's that and then the running, reveal that it's, it's that shot of the running and the shot. flying out of the warehouse. Yeah, which I love. I think it looks great. Um, I like that this also, real quick sidebar, I like that this episode specifically gave a very clear yes to the answer of does bucky have super soldier serum because that hasn't really been oh, like he's... fully flushed out oh yeah and he like after seeing this you there is no question that he does like look he at that absolutely man has super soldier serum. outrun a truck <laughs> exactly exactly and that was that just wasn't a thing before like they never really played with that very much just that he was enhanced somehow but not that he straight up had super soldier serum like he's a super soldier 
And the thing that I love about that is that it retroactively makes Infinity War so much better because that scene yes. where Cap and Black Panther yes. are like running down, where they're Bucky's running there oh too, but he's yeah. just like, I'm not doing this today. I'm not running I, that fast. That's the like, thing. It's that <laughs> or in Civil War. It's in Civil War when they're like running to the plane and and they all like team cap all joins up and Cap's like come on let's go and they're all running at the same pace <laughs> it's just like oh right no they have to realize like oh, oh I, gotta, I can't run faster run than faster. my friends <laughs> <laughs> i gotta run as fast as hawkeye like <laughs> who is also perpetually tired but he's 45 but he's 45 perpetually, perpetually tired. tired yeah that's the thing now i want the hawkeye winter soldier show because it will just be the two of them just Give me that Matt Rosenberg. That Matt Rosenberg uh, tales of suspense. or tales of suspense. Yeah. Like hell yes. yeah. Of Give the two of them, just me. tired and done just with it. Hell yeah. Tired, hell fighting yeah. over the coffee pot. Like hell yeah. There. I, that's the thing. I like that this has that energy. Mm-hmm. Like this show very much has that energy. They've they've made the 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 uh, Bucky Falcon dynamic very much what the Hawkeye Bucky dynamic is in the comics. Yeah, uh, and I, I love that. I think that's a good choice. Yeah, and I mean in the comics, the it, it's kind of they come together because of their mutual relationship to Natasha, and here right. they're drawn together because of their they're drawn together because of their mutual relationship. Steve, yeah, I just I, I love that balance, but this action scene maybe i'm just is great for fighting on top of moving vehicles oh me too i love it me too this was fantastic yeah it looks great and the the bouncing between the two vehicles too it's great and then like i'm thinking to myself like okay so they're in trouble a little bit because these guys are strong and then all of a sudden clang clang the shield shield comes out and i'm like oh no (laughs) and you see captain america hanging off of the ship by the way i really i am kind of bothered that they keep calling him the new captain america and no one is taking advantage of calling him the all new all different captain america (laughs) to a ridiculous degree but i'll get over it no because that's because that's gonna come when when sam becomes captain Right, he has to right. be the all new, all different captain. You're America. right. That's the thing. But like him dropping down and then seeing Hoskins drop down yeah. in full battle star, full battle star gear. Yeah. Which that this costume so was dumb. Awesome. Let's talk about the costumes real quick. I so I love the battle star costume that they gave him for the show. Yeah. I think it looks really cool. The John Walker Captain America costume I think is perfect. It's perfect. I I absolutely love that costume. I think it looks amazing. And I love the fact that all you need to do is recolor it a little bit to make it the comics version. And it like, it's, you can have both. And I love have the you, coloring. I've have seen, you seen the... I know what you're okay. talking about. Yes. I've seen, because I saw that yesterday. Don't know what like, I'm talking oh, about. Oh boy. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, there have been some leaks for some toys coming out. And I am about to be yeah. wild buying toys again. Oh, I mean, we have to get the whole set because it has the important build a figure yes, uh, pieces. I am... <laughs> Listen, I have already dipped my toes back into Marvel Legends to pick up Krakoa, Cyclone. Wolverine and Marvel Girl. So I'm I am, getting that entire set. I'm getting I, that entire set. I have Cyclops because I want a Moira Marvel Girl like on my shelf. Right Hell now, yeah! Just waiting for Wolverine to ship, but 
Yes. I so I literally awesome. just bought this Miles this yes, week. Yes, dude. Because was I was awesome. able to pick up this Miles, which is That's awesome. Amazing. So Marvel Legends figures, guys, they're killing it Crushing right now. Crushing it. And, and <laughs> whenever it. the Scarlet Witch comes out, like Hell yeah. I got a first Hell Miles. yeah. But hell yeah, yeah. Like it is so cool to see like this dumb comic book stuff, like yeah movement like seeing like i want yeah. a battlestar and u.s agent like uh combo pack the two of them like posing yeah like, me too i would i would meeting. totally buy that and just i want a battlestar figure really bad them, like go through like i'm waiting for them to drop an all winners squad reference like i <laughs> i want it so bad and like there's this cool like, I, I love it blink and you miss it moment where like john's good at throwing the shield like he is very john is, so john is very good at throwing the shield. like all they, they show him good. in the good morning america reel uh they show him like practicing with it and you're like wow he's pretty good and then when he's actually in action he's really good with it like almost too good <laughs> like yeah because and just looking forward i guess i can now like make that connection between like what we saw in this episode and the mm -hmm. clips from the trailers of mm -hmm. training because i'm sure that's uh -huh. the idea but yep. like seeing him just like batter people around and there's a moment where he throws the shield that bounces off a guy and bucky like catches it and then he oh, runs and like puts his arm in it oh arms. man oh my god like this action sequence i am so hyped like it's that and when when Battlestar's like gotten like he, yes. he's done by like two guys he's like john where you at man and john like bends down pulls out his gun points oh, it sideways like takes a second and then shoots a guy yes. <laughs> it's like oh right this one is a soldier. Like, he's yeah, a decorated he's soldier. Good. Like, like he's and, a good soldier. And I've like I've kind of disassociated, and it's it doesn't make any sense, I guess, in like on paper. But like I've kind of disassociated um, Captain America from using guns, which Same. is silly because he uses them all the time, not just in the comics but also in the MCU. But like yeah. seeing we'll him see, like whip out uses... a gun yeah it's it's a totally different feel because he's he's still in soldier mode right we're like cap when he's in world war ii in the mcu he uses a gun yes because yeah, he's in world war ii but, but otherwise he doesn't really use a gun very often uh i guess yeah. like that scene in avengers yeah but he uses that gun very poorly so yeah and like just seeing <laughs> seeing him whip that gun out gave me major bucky cap vibes that's exactly like, what it felt oh, like oh i love this so much i just see need to see him pull out that bowie knife that's... and here yeah, I yeah, but yeah, I love the it. coolest moment for me was actually after um Sam and Bucky have been kind of taken out of the out of the oh my god, and yes, Battlestar gets knocked backwards off of mm -hmm. the truck, and John in a split second just goes okay and he throws the shield, whips the shield to, under to him, just oh my god, like so cool. Give me so like cool. an entire six episode series of John and and uh and lamar just like going off and doing missions. that's the thing i could i would totally watch that show Same. i would totally watch that i'd be so about that and that's crazy because john walker is a character i love in the comics but i love him because he's problematic he, i love him <laughs> because he's terrible he's, like, he's a, a terrible, terrible person. person he's a terrible person like it's bad i have mentioned before on this podcast if you want to go back and listen to my episode on vision i've talked about how terrible simon williams is as a person yep uh-huh 
John Walker is worse. He's worse. He's yeah. far worse. John Walker is literally he he's the comedian from Watchmen. Yeah. Like yeah. he is three days away from being the comedian. Yeah. Like he he's a piece of crap. And now he's got a Captain America shield. And exactly. Just, I am so, oh, I loved it. But in this episode, we got a big focus again on the Flag Smashers, specifically mm-hmm. their leader, Carly. Carly Morgenthau, yes. which is the coolest name drop uh-huh. that they made her Carly Morgenthau. Because for listeners who don't know, Please. Carl Morgenthau is Flag Smasher in the comics. He's the leader of Ultimatum. He's Flag Smasher. So for the leader of the Flag Smashers to be Carly Morgenthau, and it's just this like kid. Like that's amazing. Uh, it's it's the girl who played Emphis Nest yes. in Solo, Solo, which I mean she's just doing the Emphis Nest thing again, but exactly. I love it. Like it's just a, it's just a different mask. It's just like, a different mask. It's a less scary mask. <laughs> but no, and you mentioned it before, but that reveal of when she's like poking her head out from behind like the vaccine yeah. stuff and she slowly begins to smile. I'm like, yeah. oh no. Oh, yeah, she's got the juice. Like <laughs> they've all got the juice and it's so yeah. interesting to me because we we already know that Hydra had been testing on um, mm-hmm. on different soldiers to make their own Winter Soldier, giving them some mm-hmm. version of the Super Soldier Serum in Civil War. And that's mm-hmm. what I think we can infer now what was given to Bucky yeah, to make him into the Winter Soldier. But how did these people get it? And I think- Well, I guess we get a little hint of that, don't we? We do, because <laughs> after we get this, and quick side note as well, we talked about this again off mic, we find out that the stuff that they had in the trucks was stolen from the power broker. The power broker. The power broker sends Carly a text saying, you took something that belongs to me. I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And it scares the crap out of her. Yes. And her and the Flag Smashers are on the run. They're living like house to house. Like they are just perpetually on the run. They have some supporters across the world. Which is super but, cool. Which is really cool. I like that there's like a support network for them. Uh, but yeah, they, they are just super on the run. And power brokers, people almost catch up with them at the end. Yeah, uh, like that's the last that we see of them is that one of the flag smashers like sacrifices, sacrifices himself to delay the power brokers people from getting to them, which the power brokers guys look like feds. Mm-hmm. They so look like feds is... and military, which is really interesting and a big problem. That a is going big problem. To, yeah, to show itself for Sam and Bucky down the line. But mm-hmm. I also love following this, like the walking as they're walking along the road, like John yeah. and Lamar, like come up in the thing. And John is just so cavalier. He just opens the door. He's like, come on in. And they just walk past him. He's like, okay. And he shuts the it's, door. It's the fact that John has like the pull up line too. Like they pull up, he opens the door. He's like, so that didn't go that great, huh? And they keep going. And so he <laughs> closes the door and he moves up. He's like, so I guess we know what's going on with them, huh? Like just he keeps using huh? Like, as like a familiar thing. Yeah. I, I love it. It's so good. And they want to work with Sam and Bucky oh, because yeah, they're like, they listen, do. you know, like oh, this, this, it's we're if we're chasing after the same thing, we might as well work together. Um, you know, and Bucky's absolutely not having it. Sam is oh. at least willing to entertain the notion. And then but he Bucky's hits him with not the line. having it. 
And then he hits no, him with the. Like, uh, I'm yeah. just. I'm trying to be the best Captain America I can, and that would be a lot easier if I had his two wingmen with me. Like yep. it's that. Oh, and and Sam's like, <laughs> it's always that last line, and gets right out of the car, which yeah. is awesome. <laughs> so good, so good, and he and you could see like how visibly upset John is that that didn't work. Mm-hmm. As they drive off, he just like hits the mm-hmm. chair, and they go like, mm-hmm. "There's we're gonna get into that." And I also yeah. I'm, I need to know because there has been no indication that he's gotten any kind of super soldier serum, but I think that's going to be coming agreed, but he, cause he has taken some hits. Like he talks about like, yeah, yeah. I have a reinforced helmet, but like, yeah, took a full on punch to the, to the chest from yeah. one of those super soldiers. And he was like, fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm so the- go with that. Yeah, I'm curious about that. But I, I think he's going to want eagle-eyed listeners will know that uh you know US agent gets his powers in the comics from the power broker. Uh, so uh... <laughs> so <laughs> you know these threads are here for a reason. Like we can make inferences as much I... as we want. The the threads are here for a reason. I love this so much. Um... I love it. I love it. Also, we didn't talk about, uh, and we should uh, do a moment of silence for our fallen comrade, Red Wing. <sighs> yeah, a uh, moment Red of silence Wing for Red Wing. Perishes. Poor guy. Poor and guy. I, and I love I how mean, Bucky's just like, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry about Red Wing. And Sam's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Sam's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and then it just drops. Because, <laughs> like, whatever, because when that happens, you know, uh, Carly, like, breaks Red Wing over her knee. And Bucky's yeah. straight up like, yeah, I wish I could have done that before. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's so, I love their dynamic. And then yeah. after this, they talk about, like, those guys are clearly super soldiers. Like they yeah. know what they're doing. And Bucky's like, yeah, we need to talk. Cause there's somebody I need you to meet. Yeah. And immediately when and I this heard is when that, we get into what is my favorite thing. Yeah. I, I was just like, no, okay. We're doing, and uh-huh. I'm walking up to this neighborhood and Bucky gives the intro of like, yeah, you know, during the Korean war, you know, we had a bit of a tussle. Uh we haven't really seen each other since and Uh the door is answered by the lad the patriot eli Uh bradley who's like yeah nobody named isaiah bradley lives here buddy and Uh and bucky says tell him the guy from goyang is here to talk to him yeah i don't know what that Uh Uh uh-huh bring him in and we get to see isaiah bradley isaiah bradley played by carl lumley by carl lumley martian manhunter himself who is looking really strapped like he i always forget he's in like pretty good shape he's like he's an older dude but he's pretty jacked uh i always forget that he's always like in very good shape uh and also looks really great with like white hair Uh like the white hair beard he looks great like he looks really scary and it's interesting because I think, and maybe I'm looking too far into it, but like he had like the same kind of goatee that Sam did. That Sam does. And I think yep. that this is like, this is it's uh-huh. obviously very much meant to be a cautionary tale. Uh huh. We get this whole like backstory that I was really hoping we were going to get a flashback to like last episode where 
during the Korean War, there was a peninsula where Winter Soldier was just wrecking shop. And everybody that the U.S. government sent in didn't come back. So they're like, okay, we're going to drop Isaiah Bradley behind enemy lines. Mm-hmm. And these two had a battle. From what it sounds like, they had a Hulk versus Wolverine style battle in a Korean uh-huh. peninsula. And I would I, pay to watch that movie. I would pay all the money to watch that. Uh, Isaiah specifically mentions like I tore off half of his arm, yeah. you know, to get him to stop. I just wanted to see if the arm grew back. Looks like it did. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> that's, he, and that's it. And he immediately like he's um, he's like, yeah, you know, we met in the war, and he's like, yeah, we did less of that, and we did more of me kicking your ass. Yeah, like, and just to think because if anything that the last episode's flashback reminded us of is that winter soldier was a killing machine he was a very bad guy and the fact that isaiah bradley kicked his ass Mm -hmm. said something Mm -hmm. and you know bradley's kind of standing there and he's just like what are you doing here are you here to kill me and bucky again has to be like no i didn't he he says i'm i'm not a killer And Isaiah Bradley says, you think you could just wake up and decide to be what you're not? Well, I guess it works that way for people like you. Uh, Which which has so many layers. So this this whole conversation and the, uh, we didn't talk about it, them walking up to Isaiah's house and seeing the kids on the street. And, (laughs) you know, the kid be like, hey, it's Black Falcon. And Sam's like, why why am I black? No, it's just Falcon. He's like, no, my dad said it's Black Falcon. He's like, is it because I'm black and I'm the Falcon? He's like, well, yeah. He's like, so does that make you black kid? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I really appreciate that. Uh, And this is clearly the hand of Malcolm Spellman being like the overseer of all of it. But Sam is very black in this he is very much a black like he immediately makes a white joke at the beginning like he says like you know bucky's all stealthy he spends a little bit of time in wakanda and he comes out as white panther (laughs) and i love that they referenced white wolf yeah he's like it's actually white wolf wolf. and sam's like what What? (laughs) (laughs) like i i love how how black the experience is for Sam here. Like Sam actually comes off as a black person full yeah. on. And that, that's nothing against his performances before, but he is very clearly like he he's me. Like I, I see myself in that guy, you know, which is wonderful. Yeah. And that goes right to the Isaiah Bradley talk of him saying, you know, it, it works out that way for people like you. Do you know what I got for serving my country? They put me in jail for 30 years. <sighs> Every day, people coming and running tests, invading my cell. Like, I, I was punished for serving my country. And you get to be just fine. And then he loses it. And he's like, get, get out of my house. He, like, grabs this tin off the table and whips it into the wall. And then that's when Sam realizes, like, oh, my God, he's a super soldier, too. Holy crap. Like, and he, Carl Lumbly gets really angry and yells. And is like, get out of my house. And, like, they, they leave. And Sam is pissed. He is pissed. He's like, how come no one ever told me about that? How come no one ever mentioned that there's a black super soldier running around? And there's a black super soldier right after Steve. And that's when literally oh the end. I mean, it's a product of the time. It's a yeah. very easy thing to do in, in TV, but uh, it still but I, moved me to tears. Absolutely. Uh, the cops show up. I don't the love cops show up. The entire scene. And and immediately question Sam because Sam is arguing in the middle of the street with Bucky. 
and when, when ask them for his the, ID. Sir, is this is this man bothering you? I oh just I lost God. it. I lost it. I was I was literally in tears this entire time. Like as soon as they got to Isaiah's house, the tears started flowing from my face. And then by the end of that scene, I was just a mess because I was like, I can't believe like this is actually happened. Like this is amazing. Of them, you know, asking, "Hey, like let me see your ID." And Sam's like, "I don't have ID." Like we're just having a conversation. What's the problem? And Bucky's saying specifically saying like, "Just show him his ID. Just show him your ID." Yeah. He's like, "I'm not showing him shit." Like, no, I don't have to. And then the other cop going up to him is like, "Hey." these guys are avengers and the cops like oh my gosh mr wilson i'm so sorry i didn't recognize you without the goggles it hurts me like and and there's a close pan on sam's face and you you see everything you need to know in that moment like there i think every episode we're going to get a moment like this because it was the bank teller scene last episode uh you know i think every episode we're going to get a moment like this that is going to clearly be the puzzle pieces leading to Sam becoming Captain America, but also becoming a very different kind of Captain America sure. to become a Captain America specifically for the people. Uh, you know, I, I, this is all the building blocks. And I love that we're getting to see this build and that is building out of racial tension and racial experiences. I think that's an amazing choice. Like, oh, it's that, so good. And that stems a lot from Isaiah Bradley's story. Like for listeners who exactly. aren't like, familiar with him, Isaiah Bradley was essentially the first black Captain America. Um, following the death of Dr. Erskine in the comics, the U.S. government wanted more super soldiers. They were not going to just let Steve be the only one. So they basically rounded up 300, forcibly rounded up 300 uh, African-American soldiers and just did experiments on them. Like, I think the... Huh? And I have it pulled up here. Like it is essentially the um, the Tuskegee experiment. It's a Tuskegee Airmen experiment. Yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. it's, it's horrifying. And he's the one who survived. Yeah. Isaiah Bradley is the one who survived. It, the The test actually worked. They used him as a kind of like black ops Captain America because you could put a black man into the shit. Like he's expendable. And, and there was like I I don't remember the exact specifics, but there was a mission where he w- where they were waiting on Cap to show up, and he ended up mm-hmm. stealing a Captain America uniform. Yeah, and that's what they threw him in prison for. Like not yeah, like they threw him in prison for stealing a Captain America for stealing costume. a Captain America costume. Yeah, and, uh, oh, and it so. I think the way that they have Isaiah in this show is very impactful because in in the comics, Isaiah in the present day isn't very coherent. He's he's been through a lot of mental trauma. Uh, He's he is just an empty shell, which is a heartbreaking thing. So to actually see an Isaiah Bradley who has a personality in this and like is very clearly still rocked from his experiences and actually feels the pain of his experiences, I think is going to be very very telling in an interesting way for Sam, but also when we get to it, because now I'm just expecting that we'll get to it for, for Eli. Yeah. Like that is going to be very formative for Eli. Um, it, I, like I said, I was moved to tears. The fact that they even put that in there, like I, I was blown away. It's, it's an incredible choice. Well, and it touches on something that I've always loved about the comics. They did a retcon in the comics where, uh, because, you know, when Cap popped up in Avengers number four and they were like, you're yeah. part of the Avengers now, he's been on ice this whole time. There was a question for a lot of comics readers, like, wait a second, but there were like 
15 years of Captain America comics <laughs> after he supposedly went in. What are we talking? What happened? And it basically retconned <laughs> that during that time, there were other people who there were, were other people Captain who were Captain America. America. Yeah. And what I love about, and I wish that they had gone that route with this, but now that they are doing this, because in the comics, Isaiah Bradley was around the same time as Steve was, but if Isaiah mm -hmm. Bradley was active duty during the Korean war, that's a decade after that's a decade after yeah. went into the ice. So they are retroactively doing this and I love it. Yeah, like, exactly. It is, it is I love it. Those themes of like the U S government saying that the title of captain America is bigger than Steve Rogers. We are going to continue yeah. to use, you know, these resources until, you know, we achieve our goals and it's heartbreaking, yeah. but it's, also, it's heartbreaking. again, like you said, very timely and very relevant as well. Uh -huh. But yeah. yeah, that um that, that whole thing was just a gut punch. Absolutely. It was an absolute a gut, gut punch. punch, a little chop to the throat, like yeah. it it, yeah. Was, it did not let up. And I loved actually too that the whole reason that the uh that the scene resolves itself is because the white guy ends up getting arrested. I I love that. I love like, that. And so and they take Bucky off and there's no apology, there's nothing. No. They just they just go. The cops just disappear. Yeah. Like that is very Baltimore. <laughs> that is so <laughs> real. That is so earnest. Oh man. And this brings <laughs> us to one of my favorite scenes is that they get brought in because there was a warrant out for Bucky's mm -hmm. arrest because he missed a therapy session. Mm -hmm. So one of the best characters in the show, Dr. Rayner, is back. Mm -hmm. And I, I love Amy Aquino. that she knows John. Yep. And yeah, she's like, that, yeah, they we were in the military together. together. I love that. I love and I'm that. I'm sure that we are going to get more of them together. Yeah. Because that that history has to be compounded upon. Yeah, there's something there. And so they go into a therapy session where mm -hmm. Dr. Rayner is basically talking to both of them. And we get this killer line from Bucky. Mm. We get right to the heart of why he's so angry that mm -hmm. Sam gave up the shield. And he says, because Steve picked you to be Captain America and you wasted it. And if Steve is wrong about you, that means that Steve is wrong. About Maybe you. he's wrong about me. And like his and voice that, cracks. That is such a good me. performance. Oh, man. That broke me because <laughs> yeah. the thing that I've loved and we've you know, we've had conversations and I've talked about it before on the podcast. The reason that I love in the MCU that Sam is chosen to be Captain America over Bucky is because it doesn't make sense for Bucky to be Captain America. Right. Because no. This version of Bucky just wants to be left alone. He yes. To go have some kind of life away from it. That's why his happiest times were in Wakanda, like where he just yeah. didn't have to worry. He was about free. Him. Yeah. Exactly. And this implication of like, if Steve was wrong about Sam being worthy, maybe he's wrong about me too. Maybe I am just a weapon. Maybe I am just this thing now and i love that that's where he's coming from it gives yeah. so much depth to his character gives so much depth to his performance and it just uh it it makes it's yeah. it, it like you said like it's a it's another punch to the throat because like this guy just yeah. wants to be good enough again he wants to be a person yeah that's the thing he just wants to know that he is good yeah and if the ultimate good in his eyes is steve and steve made a bad call 
then maybe he made other bad calls like that it's yeah. it's such a clean explanation and unfortunately like you know you hear sam hear it but sam like they just don't have time to yeah. deal with it which is such a bummer you know like it's <laughs> it's it's a great scene it's yeah. really great and getting to see like him basically be like you know what again we don't have time for this but once this is done we are going off because we're like we'll playing. never see each other again don't worry about it yeah and it we're was, both in this now uh, i need you you need me let's go handle they this. made the adult decision and, yes and then they leave the precinct right and this boiled my blood because <laughs> they come out of the precinct and you hear a siren and i uh -huh. immediately tensed up because uh -huh. i'm just like here we go again like uh -huh. it bothered me but then it bothered me more because they pan over and it's johnny walker just being like hey this would be funny hitting, right hitting the siren this with a big old funny. grin on his face like yep uh-huh yeah of course uh -huh. me blonde blue-eyed white man like this is funny uh-huh like uh -huh. oh. and it's worse that and it's worse that lamar is right there next to him too yes like lamar's uncle tom ass <laughs> it was just and that whole conversation where he's basically just like look like you need to get this done we need you you need our resources like let's yeah. work together and sam actually gives him like a legit a perfect point why a he's perfect like, reason why they wouldn't we are yeah. freelance like we don't work within lines so we, if and if nothing else we would be detrimental to you yeah like on this and then we get that first real dark moment uh-huh i was just like okay that's fine you know you don't want to work with us and stay the hell out of my way uh -huh. he just picks himself up and walks off it's the the angry oh, performance oh. and that's why you get a wyatt russell yeah Wyatt russell is a really good actor he's incredible um, he it, it's it's that flip it's that flip like mid-sentence he's just get the hell out of my way like it, it's so interesting and he just storms off powerful yes. scary perfect john walker <laughs> perfect, perfect john, john walker, walker energy yeah and uh at the end of this basically sam and bucky are basically like okay well we need to figure out what's going on and mm -hmm. bucky's like well we know a guy who knows all about that super soldier stuff and sam's immediately like no i'm nixing that plan right now yeah. like we're not doing this and they eventually come to the decision that they are going to go talk to zemo yep I love, and I, I love that that's how Zemo comes into this. I yes. think that's such a great idea, is that they're the ones who easy, are going to pull him in. Yeah. The easiest thing in the world would be to be like, oh, he's the power broker. He's the one behind everything. That was what I thought they were going to do. And I'm Same. so glad that they subverted that expectation. Agreed. <laughs> he's essentially, you know, for all intents and purposes, going to be our fourth lead behind John Walker. Like, yeah. I, I think that's amazing. That's a great oh, choice. It's going to be great. And to see... And them going after Zemo is clearly how the Sharon of it all is going to come into. Yeah. Like... Which I'm excited yeah. to see Sharon actually do stuff. Me too. Stuff. Actually do stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. But yeah, overall, this episode was just a... It, it was... You know, I... Um, I pause at using the word perfect because it's... 
that word is thrown around all the time and a lot yeah. of the time it doesn't fit but this is as near perfect as you could get for an MCU mm -hmm. episode that takes in everything that is connected mm -hmm. to it. I love the performance. Yeah, as we said at the beginning, like it's a very loaded hour. Yeah. A lot happens. It's exhausting. And it's really well balanced. It's exhausting. Like it's it's a great hour, but it's it's heavy. Like there's yeah. a lot that goes on. Yeah, the performances were solid. Uh, White Russell's John Walker is incredible. I love yeah. all of the plates spinning with everything going on. Carl Lumley, cru Lumley crushed it as Isaiah Bradley. And I just, I just, yeah. look, guys, give me that flashback where Isaiah Bradley fights. Winter yeah. Trump. Just give it to me. Just get, just get, yeah, it to I want to watch like, it. Just, I want to watch, watch it. it. You know, you, you, you want to say, oh, you know, we need viewing figures. I'll that. give you that viewing figure. We will give you that viewing figure no, I'll, on our I, own. I was going to say, it'll just be the two of us. That's fine. Like, I don't care. it over and over again. I'll watch it literally however many times. You, if, listen, if you guys need, like, help financing it, I got my stimulus check. I am willing <laughs> to donate some money. It's not going to be much, but I want that. Make I want happen. that so bad. But yeah, overall, just episode was fantastic. I can't wait to see episode three. Malcolm, any final thoughts on the episode? Man, it's great. This is off to a great start. We are one third of the way through. Yeah. And this is off to a great, like this is the end of the first act. And it's it's been a wonderful act, man. Agreed. Like they're they're crushing it right now. They are crushing it. So so freaking good but that yeah. is going to do it for this week's weekly review tune in next week for malcolm and i to cover episode number three but for now we're gonna roll right on into this week's comics countdown Ooh, welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where i talk about the comics that i think you should be picking up this week whether it's at your local comic book shop on comiXology or however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should definitely take a look at but before we get into this week's books we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the geek explained pick of the week of last week and for me i was kind of surprised that it ended up being this but it was Detective Comics number 1028, written by Mariko Tamaki, with art by Dan Mora, with a backup written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Gleb Melnikov. And wow, 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 wow. I I have to say, um, Dark Detective, I thought, during the Future State event was really strong, but I think this is light years ahead of where that was um i just i really enjoyed it i thought it was a great book a great hook into a greater mystery that's going on mayor nakano is really interesting i like this uh new new york brownstone community that bruce wayne has to be a part of with all these neighbors that he has to get to know it's it's very interesting to me but the thing that kind of sent it over the edge for me was actually the backup and i think i've been pretty uh blunt about my displeasure and the fact that damien is getting another solo series while my boy tim drake is suffering in silence but i actually um 
I really dug this. I liked him choosing to be himself over becoming one of Talia's goons. And the reveal, uh, I'm just going to give a quick spoiler here if you don't want to know or if you don't want any spoilers for this book, if you haven't picked it up yet. Uh, first of all, what's wrong with you? But uh, skip ahead like a minute and uh, three, two, one. Connor Hawk, man. They brought Connor Hawk back, and I am super stoked. I cannot wait to see what they do with him. Very excited. And now I'm going to pick up this book. It's just that it is what it is. But anyway, that is last week's books. Let's talk about this week's books. We have this week four, five, six, eight books for you. So let's go ahead and dive into it with, first off, Future State Superman versus Imperious Lex, number three. This is written by Mark Russell with art by Steve Pugh. And this is legit the last Future State book. Um, I am still... It still kind of baffles me that we're getting this so far after the end of Future State. Um, I still don't know why they couldn't just make this these three issues fit into um, the two months that they had full of Future State. And honestly, I don't know if why this one was chosen. Because um, I'll be honest, like I'm not super into uh, this story. I thought I was going to enjoy it a lot more, but... I am definitely recommending this, first off, because it's Superman vs. Lex, which you know I'm a sucker for. And for you completionists out there, this is going to be the last Future State book. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Part 3. Could the last days of Lexor be here already? Thanks to Lex Luthor's greed, his adopted home is on the brink of financial and planetary ruin after leaving the United Planets. Now, it's up to Superman to act as a champion of these people and show them there's a way through all of this. Will Lex stand down, or is this the final showdown? The future of Lexor depends on it. So yeah, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm going to be picking it up just to continue the story, but, or to complete the story, I guess, but I I am much more interested in the other books on this list. Next up, speaking of which, we have The Other History of the DC Universe number three. This is once again written by John Ridley with art by Giuseppe Camincoli. And I've been really enjoying these other history books. I really liked The Black Lightning it, issue the first issue and last issue even uh with malcolm and uh bumblebee i was super into uh having the exploits that we all kind of are used to but putting them through that new lens i think really works especially for these characters and this one i am very much excited about so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here 1983. Japan. Tatsu Yamashiro's life has been taken from her. Her home, her children, her husband are all gone. With nothing left but a burning pain and the sword that stole her family from her, Tatsu begins a long journey of healing, self-discovery, agency, and rebirth. This is the story of Tatsu Yamashiro, the woman known to many as Katana, a hero who became more than the world ever intended for her, ultimately making a family of like-minded outsiders who rally together for the common good amidst xenophobia and oppression. 
So this is issue three. I believe there are a couple more issues coming from this, but this is as far as I got for the solicits. So I'm very excited about this. I think Katana is a wonderful character who does not get enough play. And hopefully with books like this, with her appearances in like the Arrowverse, the first Suicide Squad film, she's going to continue to get a spotlight and we can see more for Tatsu down the line. Next up, we have Batman Catwoman number four, written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. And I will say I am back on board with this book uh like i said the first issue threw me off but issues two and three have been really good and i'm loving the clayman art even though that um that batwoman costume is not my favorite design for that character so um yeah let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the bat and the cat chapter four the joker has hidden a bomb in gotham but there might be a bigger explosion if Batman proves his suspicions true, and Catwoman actually knows where it is. It's a dangerous secret that threatens to destroy the couple's relationship in its early days, and it's going to reverberate throughout their time together. In the present day, it will affect how Selina handles Andrea Beaumont, a.k.a. Phantasm, who has a vendetta to carry out against the Clown Prince of Crime, fueled by the righteous fury of a mother who lost her son. And this whole chain of events is what ultimately leads to Catwoman killing the Joker in the future, a secret she can't keep from her daughter Batwoman much longer, particularly now that old man Penguin is involved. So yeah, a lot going on there. Um, I think they found a rhythm with balancing all three timelines, and I'm interested to see what they do next with these characters. Next up, we have Beta Ray Bill number one. Very excited to check this book out. This is written by Daniel Warren Johnson, and um, also, I believe, illustrated by him as well. Very excited to check this out. Beta Ray Bill is a guilty pleasure of mine. He's a just, oh, he's so good. He's a really cool character who has gone through a lot in the pages of the Donny Cates Thor run. So I'm really excited to see what they do with him next. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. From the pages of Donny Cates Thor and spinning out of the events of King in Black. The second most famous wielder of Mjolnir, the right-hand man to the god of thunder, and now a warrior without his best weapon. Beta Ray Bill is tired of playing second fiddle to Thor, and with Bill's famous hammer Stormbreaker recently destroyed at the new Allfather's hands, tensions are higher than ever. The Corbinite must strike out in search of a new weapon, and a new destiny, assuming he can first defeat a nullified Fin Fang Foom. So yeah, uh, really excited about this, I believe... There's also going to be a quick uh, backup, which is basically just a conversation between um, Daniel Warren Johnson and Walt Simonson, who created Beta Ray Bill. So very excited to check that out. Very excited to see Beta Ray Bill versus a nullified Fin Fang Foom. That is going to be wild. Next up, we have Strange Adventures number nine, written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrett and Doc Shaner. Uh, this is ramping up here. We've only got... Um, what is it, three more issues after this? And things are coming to a head very, very quickly. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Chapter 9 The Picts are attacking Earth. As the only warrior in all the cosmos to ever defeat them, Adam Strange leads the planet's mightiest heroes in all-out war. The only thing is, evidence is mounting that Adam's victory on Rayon may not have been everything he says it was. There is time unaccounted for, circumstances left unexplained. Even Batman has started to wonder about his friend. Sure, they're fighting side by side right now, but who will answer for all the things that got them here? Why, Alana Strange, of course. It's time for the Ranian princess to go out and set the record straight. The hit series continues on a bi-monthly schedule. Oh, damn it. Now we know, now we know, bi-monthly. So, it's gonna take six months to get the rest of this story, which sucks. They're already doing this to Far Sector, and I cannot believe they're doing this to Strange Adventures again. I get that Tom King has a lot on his plate, but it's still, it's unfortunate. But still, very excited to pick this up, very excited to see where the story goes next. Next up, we have Captain America number 28. This is written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, with art by Leonard Kirk, and this is continuing the all-die-young uh, storyline, bringing back the Red Skull and pinning him against Cap once again. Ta-Nehisi Coates has been in the news recently, and so is Captain America. Ta-Nehisi Coates with a Superman film on the way, and Captain America with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. All Die Young, Part 9. Skull Fracture. Yeah, pretty self-explanatory, I think. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> These Captain America synopses get shorter and shorter every time, and I kind of love it. But yeah, very much excited, very much looking forward to this book. Um, it's been killing it, and I'm excited to see Cap and Skull go one-on-one -on -one again. Next up, we have The Flash, number 768. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by David LaFuente, Marco Santucci, and Brandon Peterson. And... Wally West is back, baby. Wally West is the fastest man alive once again. And of course, there's stuff going on. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The retirement of Wally West begins. After the events spanning from DC Universe Rebirth to Heroes in Crisis to Dark Knight's Death Metal, the former Kid Flash decides to call it quits. But the current Flash needs his former partner now more than ever. As the fallout from Infinite Frontier hits the Flash, Barry Allen and Wally West must confront the past by way of a Justice League led by Green Arrow. Okay, what is this retirement of Wally West nonsense? <laughs> I am, I'm really just, ugh, I'm so tired, but hopefully this, you know, is just kind of a stepping stone to Wally taking his position as the Flash. We'll just have to see, fingers crossed. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is X-Men number 19. You knew it was going to be, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Mahmoud Asrar. I absolutely love X-Men. I love the book so far. I love the arc that we're in right now showing our vault trio going up against the city and uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here escape from the vault again these short and sweet synopses are great but they also kill me because i don't know what to expect uh like i said this has been a 
all-star book, five stars from me ever since the first issue, and I cannot wait to see what our Vault Trio gets up to in the pages of this book. So that's going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Future State, Superman vs. Imperious Lex number three, The Other History of the DC Universe number three, Batman Catwoman number four, Beta Ray Bill number one, Strange Adventures number nine, Captain America number 28, The Flash number 768, and X-Men number 19. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. We drop episodes every single Wednesday. Also, if you would be so kind to give us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, uh, subscriptions, ratings, reviews really help us out, really helps me out, really helps the podcast out, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listening just like you. Also, if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you want. You give me that five-star rating and review, and I will read it here. You can join the likes of our Magnificent Seven, that being Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88 Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, and Brian. Thank you very much to these fine gentlemen for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag, you can email me. You can send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Just put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here on the podcast. And finally, if you want to keep up to date with me, keep up to date with the podcast, see what's going on, participate in polls. We just had a poll recently deciding on who we are going to be Geeksplaining next from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Results came out, and we are going to be geeksplaining Baron Zemo, so look for that very, very soon. So if you want to uh, participate in polls like that, you want to keep up to date with me, get my thoughts on the latest uh, comic book news, feel free to follow us on there. Follow us at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. That's at GeeksplainedPod. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, As we look ahead into the month of April, we've got a lot of stuff on deck. I'm very excited at what we're going to be accomplishing this year. I am just... I am. I have an embarrassment of riches for the stuff that we're going to be covering this year. There's a lot going on, and I'm very excited to get through all of it with you. So uh, tune in next week for our very first episode of April, a brand new episode of the Geek Explain podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Thank you.